Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 395 of Longbox Heroes. Joe being joined by Todd. Todd, how are we doing today? I'm full of pep and vinegar today, Joe. All right. What have you been doing for the last two hours? Uh, just discussing stuff with you, that's all. Off mic and on mic. <laughs> oh, boy. So this episode's going up a little bit later uh, than usual, and I'm going to do our best to kind of keep us on track. And not trying to rush through things, because as we're recording this, pulling back the curtain, it is late. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. But uh, worth so, it, I think. Definitely worth it. Yes. Uh, so, we got some stuff to discuss. Um, probably the most heavily fueled rumor and innuendo <laughs> news segment of all time. <laughs> right. Along with, I guess, what... A discussion in regards to a con that was kickstartered that now all of a sudden isn't happening. Right. But then we're going to get into con news with uh, conventions that are actually happening this weekend. Specifically one where if you're going to, you might even run into Todd. But don't run into me too hard. I don't want to get hurt. I was going to say, hopefully he's walking and you're driving. But anyway. <laughs> Boy. Wow. Feel the love. Digital sales and freebies. Uh, what we read this past week, uh, which is Action Comics number 1000, Batman number 45, and just a little bit of discussion about Amazing Spider-Man number 799. You've piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get into uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, Todd's Art Attack, of course, and discussion of both the latest episodes of Krypton and the uh, last episode of Flash, not the last final episode, but, you know, a week ago's episode, not the one that's just like a day ago when this came out. Smooth, Joe, smooth. You know what I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, one of the big stories, of course, coming out this week is with Action Comics number 1000, which we're going to get into a little bit later on. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis is making his presence felt at DC. There had been ads in all of the books that had come out from DC this past month. Bendis is coming, Superman, all sorts of stuff, right? Right. So, the rumor and innuendo mill has been churning that part of the... Re well, we all know, not unlike when Hulk Hogan body slammed under the giant, <sighs> who weighed 800 pounds at the time, and tore every muscle in his back, and then Andre died the next day... We also know the reason that Brian Michael Bendis left Marvel to go to DC was he went to the Superman Museum, had a moment, began crying, and decided he needs to write Superman. Who doesn't? Not some other rumor and innuendo and speculation in regards to Marvel changing uh, what their direction was going to be regarding... Uh, female characters, minority characters, LGBT characters, and creators as well. Mm -hmm. That's rumor and innuendo. Well, now the rumor and innuendo is a lot of Bendis' friends, many of whom are former Marvel people, and some interesting names that haven't had regular titles, 
are all being speculated to be coming over to DC to start stuff within the next year. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, he's got his click. Give right. him some jobs. It happens all the time in business. Okay. And I, and right. And I agree. And listen, I'm with that, but here's my con- So there's been, you know, talk of, uh, David Walker, who was doing the Luke Cage book over at Marvel, coming over and doing a Flash book. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick doing an Aquaman book. Uh, Brian Azzarello coming in to do Suicide Squad. And another big one that's kind of separate from all this, and we'll get to that one in a moment. My thing is, obviously the Bendis thing is a huge shakeup for what DC has planned, and it's gotten them a lot of buzz. What DC is doing and has been doing for almost the better part of the last two years has been working. Mm-hmm. Why change it just because Bendis is here? See, I'm of the mind that it's not all going just because Bendis is coming. Uh, a lot of these guys have been writing four years of comics in, in you know, a short time. We're on issue 40 for some of these books, 50 right. for some of these books. These, I honestly believe a lot of these writers have told their stories and are ready to move on. You know what I mean? So shaking it up. Now, I'm not saying like that every, uh, people who are leaving a book, I think uh, like Venditti's leaving Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. He said, you know, 50 is going to be my last issue. I believe, give or take. Um, you know, that's a long time to write. So a shakeup isn't to me as much as, uh, you know, like, oh, it's we're going to make everything different and, and, and all this stuff. I believe some some things have run their course. Now, we'll see if the old regime of all these people who've done great jobs on these books don't have a job at all. I don't right. know. We'll have and, to see. And I'm with you in that the fact that, you know, a lot of these people have burned through four years of stories in two years amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure a lot of people came in and if you were told that you were going to be on the twice monthly books, you were probably told like, have a pitch for this long, or do you have a pitch for 25 issues, 50 issues, a hundred issues? Mm-hmm. You make the point of, are those folks that are on these books that are they just going to be out of a job? I don't right. know what the contract status of these folks are. I know when, the new age of heroes, all the terrific stuff and um, all those new books that came out of metal, those creators had some sort of contracts regarding them getting some sort of additional payment on the back end of the characters and things of that nature. I don't know if, you know, uh, Joshua Williamson, who's doing flash, or as you mentioned, um, Venditti, Venditti, who's doing green lantern core or whatever it is. Uh, now, obviously, we know Venditti has uh, the Hawkman book coming up. So is that just going to be the transition from there? Uh, is Williamson going to leave DC altogether? Is it going to be a second Flash book? I don't know what's going on, but it just seems as though unless these creators currently are like saying, yeah, I'm done like Venditti has, then yes, you need to replace them. But it's like, nope, we've got a bigger name talent than you, so you're off this book. I don't care if your story's done or not. See, I don't think it is that. I think, and I think a lot of these books are going to start switching to uh, once a month because everybody keeps forgetting that even when Rebirth started, they were like, "Oh, we're double shipping," and some of these books are going to go like to one, uh, once a month after a while. And now I see books like Batman. I don't see Batman 
going to once a month because it's, you know, making so much money to double, sh- double ship a month. But like books like, uh, Aquaman have gone from, you know, twice a month to once a month. I think Suicide Squad is, no, still, that's still twice a month. I'm trying to think of some of the books that have gradually, you know, gone over. So maybe with all this talent, instead of having books shipped twice a month, you have lots of talent ship one book a month. Uh, that's, you know, a possible way of fixing all this instead of getting rid of people. Right, but then do they need, um, you know, for their bottom line, for their market share, do these books that are shipping and selling at high numbers twice a month, do they need to continue to do so? Well, it depends on like what. See, I'm looking at like I would say like Batman's one of the few that would have to stay that way. You know, like I'd have to look at the numbers to see where they are, where it would be more beneficial. And I really don't want to look at numbers. You know, me and right. my anti uh, num uh, numbers thing. Um, but it's just I just look at it as you know, as long as they have X amount of books selling a month or titles, I, I want to say, then they should be pretty good and having more of really good writers is not a bad thing right i don't know we'll see how it all turns out right and this could all just be speculation that never happens right because who knows grant morrison might not come over and write a book right and that's the other thing of course i didn't mention because i don't think morrison is kind of part of the bendis click he's kind of always been a dc guy for the longest time kind of picking his projects when and where he can, but there's rumor that he's going to be doing a Green Lantern book. Now, again, a Green Lantern book, is he going to take over Hal's book? Is he going to take over the main Green Lantern book? Is it going to be a third book? My concern is, is Grant Morrison someone who moves the needle in 2018? Yes, on an established character. Do you know what I'm saying? That formula we always talk about? Right. I think he will, but it will peter off into Zanus. This is the way it's going to go if Grant Morrison takes over a Green Lantern book or gets a number one. And if you're a Grant Morrison fan, earmuffs right now because it's, you know what a fan I am of him. The first issue will be fantastic and will get word of mouth and everybody will love it. And then around the third issue... The second will be like, okay, as Zanius sets in, and then the third will be full-on Grant, and that's when you know people will be like, okay, I'm not sure. And the Grant lovers will love him, and the Grant haters will hate him, um, but I do think he he slightly moves, and he still has the cash. It's like saying, does Frank Miller still sell books in 2018? Like, when you have a name, when you're, once you're a name, you're always a name. Right. Just, but are you? To a point, yes. Now you may not be that guy from the your your heyday, but you you know you move the needle for a little bit, and then if it tanks, it tanks. Frank Miller's Frank Miller's a great example. Frank Miller's a name that people recognize, and uh, to paraphrase uh, a great man, uh, you know Frank Miller's a household name, but so is garbage, and I don't want either in my house. Uh, and, but what I'm saying is they do give Frank Miller projects all the time, but they don't let Frank Miller anywhere near, they being DC, anywhere near the main DC universe. He gets to do like the weird side projects, the miniseries that kind of 
come and go as they please. Like, it doesn't matter what their release schedule is. Is it three months between issues? Is it nine months between issues? It doesn't matter, because when it eventually comes out, and we can eventually put it into a trade, it'll sell. But we don't want Frank Miller's zaniness, and maybe Grant Morrison's zaniness, mucking up what we're doing over here in the real, quote-unquote, DC universe. Fair enough, but we'll, you know... I think they'd let him play. I, I, I think they'd let him play in the sandbox. I really do. If I'm, he wanted. Now that you mentioned Frank Miller, I definitely think whatever this Grant Morrison thing with Green Lantern or whatever it is, it's going to be completely separate from everything that's going on in whatever Rebirth is. One of these black label titles. Yes. That's a perfect I, spot for Grant Morrison. Whatever this Green Lantern story you have to tell, that's going to take you a year to put out six issues or whatever it is. Go over there and do it. It'll be great. We'll pay you a bunch of money. A bunch of people will buy it. But we have plans for what Green Lantern's doing. We have plans for what Green Lantern's doing in the Justice League. We have plans here, there, and that for these characters. Tell your story. We'll give you a check. But at the end of the day, you're over here, and everything else is over there. Grant walks in. He's like, can I have Can I have Green Lantern in the regular DC Universe? Uh, no. All right, all right. Can I have All-Star Green Lantern do the hardcovers? Eh, we got somebody for that. Can I do a black label? What are you guys doing? Yeah, you can do a black label, Grant. Now, <laughs> what if fine. this Grant Morrison story, Todd, is a Guy Gardner solo book? Oh, Guy Gardner teams up with Han Solo? I'd read that. <laughs> no, no, not that <laughs> solo. Oh, in all honesty, if if... Grant Morrison wrote a Guy Gardner. I'd have to try it. Right. I'd have to try it. I would even try the issue if it was if it was in continuity. It was just how I'd be like, I'm going to give this a try. I want to see if this is We Three Grant Morrison or this is the Invisibles Grant Morrison. So that's that's like I said, I like one out of every ten projects Grant Morrison. What was the last big thing that he did for DC? The Hypertime thing? Yes, it was. I don't think it was Hypertime. It no, was it wasn't something called Hypertime, but it was like Hypertime centric. Right, right. I can't. Uh, or it was because it was all the one shots and, and I don't even know. I can't remember what it was called. Oof. I don't know. I wanted to bring back the third uh, act of Sea Guy. That's what I want. Ah, oh, Sea Guy was all right. Sea Guy was terrible. It was all right. It's what the Spaniards call El Terrible. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, I don't want to get too negative on this show. Too late. Hmm. Um, yeah, Hyper Crisis, is that? No. I don't know. I don't know. But I know I read, I looked through the first issue because it had, uh, Ivan Hayes art, Ivan Rice, Arvin Re- Ivan Reese art, and it was I, w- I wanted to try it, but I couldn't. Captain Carrot was a character in it, I think, at one point. I don't know. Multiversity. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, so I, I I just learned recently as a podcast listener, you cannot a- you cannot ask the universe a question and not answer it on the podcast. Okay. Because then you'll be inundated with people telling you the answer to the question. So you were worried we were going to get a thousand multiversity tweets? You have to close every door. 
Oh, boy. I've had a lot of doors closed in my face, Joe. Oh, boy. Well, not as many doors closed in your face as the people who kickstarted the... (laughs) (laughs) Nice segue, Joe. Oh, terrible. The uh, Universal Fan Con that was supposed to happen this weekend. Uh, One of these outlaw mud shows coming (laughs) trying to horn in on the racket of the one of the last true outlaws of uh, independent, re- I mean, uh, conventions, Baltimore oh. Comic-Con. They were actually running in the same building as Baltimore Comic-Con. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I would like to see the Baltimore Con invade them. <laughs> well, we'll you know, we're going to kind of get into that, of course. So uh, Universal Fan Con was kickstarted as a uh, convention. They did, like, triple what they were asking to do the convention. A lot of the perks and rewards and everything that they were offering... Uh, with people who contributed the Kickstarter was we you know included in this package is going to be your airfare and hotel. Mm-hmm. Well, it happened over the weekend that this convention uh, a week out from it happening ends up getting canceled. Now they're saying now, postponed, mm-hmm. but they're issuing refunds on the tickets. Now, unfortunately, not issuing refunds on the plane and the hotels. Obviously, that's out of the control of the people who are running the convention. Um, obviously, and we'll get into the silver lining on all of this, but this definitely sets a precedent in regards to the next time someone tries to start something like this up. And I mean, because as a con goer, like now, now people have to go to Baltimore with non-refundable stuff Mm -hmm. to do like, or just eat it, just eat that money, go to Baltimore. Like you can't move a con ever. You just, it just, it does not work. Granted, now, in the worst situations, yes, but this isn't like whatever happened, I don't know, but this screws up people's travel plans. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, this has killed this con. You can never, I would never trust this con again. I would never go to this con. Um, and it, it gives, you know, like cons a bad name. Like, and we discussed, me and Joe were talking about this, me and you were talking about this before. Like there was one coming up in Philadelphia, uh, later this year from Repop. Like, you know, you have to, you have to do a good con right out of the gate. Even, you know, where people could go to one, if it gets bad word of mouth, it could kill it. But to postpone and not even have it. Like, I, I don't know what they can do to salvage this at any point. Right, so this company, I think, they're shot. They're done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, it's great that they've made good on what they can, but I think in their press release that they put out, they said that we just ran out of money. But how could you run... And again, it's confusing of how they could run out of money when they tripled what their goal was that they set things at. And obviously, you think you know what it's going to cost to run a convention, and I could certainly see things getting out of control. The problem here is... Not only are they ruined, but if anyone else ever tries to do any sort of convention crowdfunding, everyone's mm-hmm. just going to say, remember these guys. Remember Universal Fan Con. This mm-hmm. is going to be another Universal Fan Con all over again. Now, I disagree with that in a way. As l- It could fly as long as you don't tie in, um, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, hotels and tickets hotels- uh, and uh, plane tickets. Right, because if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go, like, it, there, uh, somebody else, like, the, these, this company cannot, but it's, it's, it, doing that, people would say, who's ever gonna go to another con again, a new con, because they're untested. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because if you're just getting the ticket and not going, that's something that's refundable if the con is canceled. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Hopefully. Like, we- obviously, as of the tickets being returned, you know, the tickets, the tickets to the convention itself being refunded, that's great. But what if another one comes along and you don't get refunded? How many of these is it going to take that don't go through? You hope that everyone has learned their lesson and don't try to do something like this ever or for a very long time. Right. But, like, so, suppose Reed Pop, even though they're a big one, they have the money, in Philadelphia doesn't doesn't uh, go through and they cancel it and they don't refund the tickets, does that make people never want to go, go to a new con again ever again, do you think? Mm-hmm. So I just think well, it's, it's, it's not so much as ever go to a new con, but never advance pay for like a crowdfunding sort of thing. Right, but like if I go through Ticketmaster or whatever it is, it's like here's this con. I see their thing. They seem to already be established, and they have a date announced and they have guests announced. I'll make that decision to go to that convention. What I'm saying is, is this convention started out as a dream. Mm-hmm. If we get enough people to put in enough money, we're going to put on a con. When and where? That all depends on how much money you give us up front. I could see what you're saying, though. Kind of. Now, I mean, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I mean, it's a roulette of of certain things. You know what I mean? So it it all depends on who's doing it, if they have some cachet. You know, like these were some people who have never even done a con before. So I don't know. Like, I, I, I always like to say never say never because you, you never know someone might try it and it would work fantastically. So, but yes, this is going to leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Right. Well, that in and of itself is it's good to see that the comic book. Well, before I get into what the comic book community itself is doing to kind of help the people. Uh, who were coming or, you know, on their way to Baltimore, can't refund those tickets, can't refund uh, the hotel stuff. The comics are hot right now. Uh, obviously, the last ten years have been great for comics, uh, for the most part, because of the strength of the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Comics have never been more at the forefront, never been more looked at Main- fondly, more mainstream than they've been in the last ten years. But it's on a precipice. Things like that can push it the other way. Like, things that happen with this convention can push it the other way. Um, you know, we've d- talked before, not at length, but mentioned many stores closing, where you'll see a big store in a New York or a Los Angeles or whatever that is, say, hey, we're doing great at this store, let's expand to a second store, or maybe even a third store, and then they end up having to shut down all their stores. Okay, see, I would have to disagree with you on a lot of that. I think... Uh, I don't think it's on a precipice, and I don't think one or two bad experiences are going to ruin it. It's too many bad experiences can ruin it. And I think these these shops that you are say are closing are doing bad business models. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yes, because I'm doing well, I'm going to open another store and another store. That doesn't really work. I look at our shop, and I really think, I mean, if, you know, business people don't want to share their formulas for stuff, um, look at our shop and you will, you will succeed. I think people make too many mistakes with shops. They get into these, to the variant cover craze and they order too much stuff and they do this and they, they want to make the big fast buck on certain weird things. And it's like, no, this is, th- these are the things 
our shop, these are the things that sell. Our new issues, back issues, not so much. And the trades, hardcovers, some toys, you can't be all crazy and adding other stuff. Yeah, you, you have to focus. You can't be magic and football cards and this and that. It's there's there's a formula to be successful. I'm, I'm not going to say our retailer is going to be make a billion dollars, but he's also been doing this a long, long time, and it seems to be working for me. Sitting in that big green phone that I always sit over in the corner, you know. <laughs> sure. So. Right, and, and, you know, obviously our area is different. Like, we're a big, small market. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, kind of where I'm going with this is. Uh, I say precipice, of course. Um, It's not as strong as everyone likes to think that it is. And with James Cameron undercutting it every chance he gets. Nah, I don't want to talk about that. That's, I know. That's just nonsense. Do you think there's a superhero fatigue, though? Um, not in the way that everyone thinks that there is. Okay. Um, th- most critics, and I, I, I don't follow a ton of critics that are just critics. I do w- listen to podcasts that review movies. I watch YouTube shows that review movies. And these podcasts and shows have been saying for two, three years, the bubble's going to burst. It's over. All it's going to take is for one or two bad movies in a row. But at the end of the day, these podcasts and YouTube shows and so forth are not versed in the comic book things because Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out and they think that's part of the cinematic universe. That is a bad movie. It does poorly at the box office. Well, that means Winter Soldier's going to do bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, they don't, like, understand that it's, like, apples and oranges, or Man of Steel comes out, and they're like, well, that's the end of that. This is our first bad one. What's the next uh, Marvel movie that's coming out after this Marvel movie? And it's like, well, they don't know because they're more movie people as opposed to comic book people. They just see all comic book movies as comic book movies. Okay. So, as long as there are good movies being put out, whether they're comic book movies or not, as long as they're good, people are going to go see them. Right. I, I get what you're, or not. It's like saying, oh, you know, a few bad science fiction movies. We don't get those anymore. Right. You know, we constantly like if, get science fiction movies every year. Right. They do a Lost in Space reboot because Star Wars is back for some reason, and that does poorly again because they couldn't no, get, I, they couldn't get Matt LeBlanc. Oh, he's doing Dunstan checks in for right. So they do another Lost in Space reboot in the film. I think they're doing a TV one, but they do a film one. That does poorly. That doesn't mean we're never going to see a Star Wars movie again. Right. Now, if they put out six Star Wars movies and they're all terrible and they make no money, that's what it's going to come down to at the end of the day. And really, it doesn't come down to whether or not they're terrible. It comes down to whether they make money. Right. See the Transformers movies. Right. Well, the last one the last one didn't make money and they panicked. Or it didn't make the same amount of money that it did, uh, that the previous four did. But you're seeing what I'm saying. I, you're right. So it's not that I think that's superhero fatigue, but I definitely think that there are people who think that the world of superhero like superhero movies is strong enough that I can do a Kickstarter for a convention. Or right. I can open up a second comic book store, and it'll be just as successful as this one that I have here. Like, not realizing that the market is big Finite. for properties, but not big for actual physical media. Right. 
kind of all over the place on this one, but I'm just saying, um, <laughs> it's, it, everyone's got, just got to be careful. It, you know, it's not the time to get all 12 Batman wedding covers and think in 10 years you're going to be able to put your kid through college. Oof, don't start me on that. Those, those days barely existed 26 years ago. They certainly do not exist today and will never exist again. But there are a segment of the population who both read and sell comic books who either legitimately believe that it's going to happen or want to convince as many people as they can that it's going to happen. And well, that's dangerous. It is, and I think you're kind of slightly wrong on certain things there. It's because that's not going to happen again. It happens enough to, to, to fuel it. Look at a book as not as like old as something like the first appearance of, of NYX or whatever it is, the first appearance of X-23. Yeah. That's all you need is one of those. That book is not that old. Walking Dead, something like that. You have three, four of those. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about, remember when it used to be books from the 70s and earlier, what, what you needed to be hot, you know, like, or, or expensive. Now all you need is a trickle of current books something that's new now that because that becomes a property or a movie or a new character and that book goes up it feeds it every time right but in, in those instances that you mentioned those were things that became big money books years later or months later even like six months later well, i'm, I'm now, talking about the early 90s right, superman 75 this mm -hmm. book, this this book is going to be polybagged. It's going to come with an armband. It's the death of Superman. It's for real, and it's going to be worth a million dollars. Right, but also you were saying this is the stuff I could put my kids through college with. So I th I thought you were being long run kind of thing, not short term. When, well, you, no, when people what say what I'm saying is there were people who bought Superman number seventy five thinking they're really killing Superman, it's in a poly bag. If I get this and keep it in the bag in 20 years, I'll be able to sell it and put my kid through college. There are people doing that with uh, New 52. Okay. But what I'm saying is that market doesn't exist anymore. I know there's people that are doing it, but it doesn't, exi like, it doesn't exist anymore. And I know that what you're saying about X, the, the first parents of X-23 or the first Walking Dead or, you know, we're talking here about these recent issues of Amazing Spider-Man, which we'll get into one of them here, where <laughs> people kind of sort of knew that something was happening because it was getting close to issue 800. Nobody knew what was really going to happen. And then all of a sudden those became hot books. Mm -hmm. In three and months, those books aren't going to be as hot anymore. Yeah, but that's... See, and I know what you're saying, but like, remember I sent you, I sent you an email a while back. I don't know how long ago where like the shopping networks is, are bringing back selling comics and stuff yes, like that. With the action comics number 1000 where it was like a special variant and right. And CGC signatures and stuff like that. It's not the same, but it is the same with different things. That's the way I look at it. It's not enough to perpetuate two stores, three stores, with the number of stores that are going out of business is what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, it's just that I, I don't think that the market is as strong as people think it is. Fair enough. I wish it was, but it's not. I think we're miscommunicating on certain things, so... Okay, no, I get what you're saying. I just think that you're... <laughs> we're not agreeing on the thought process on this. But anyway, getting back to the convention stuff... <laughs> um. <laughs> 
again, getting off on a sidetrack. So, uh, Baltimore Comic Con themselves were actually doing a thing on Sunday, uh, in the area, uh, which was going to be in the same ballroom. They were kind of in conjunction. I joked around before when I said that, you know, Mud Show and all this stuff and encroaching on the territory. So they're still going to be doing their spring fling thing on Sunday and, uh, convention that we'll be talking about here in a little bit. Uh, the Great Philly Convention in, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is going to be honoring folks who did purchase these FanCon tickets. Uh, if you could prove, uh, that you did purchase the tickets, you can get free Friday tickets or half-price Sunday tickets. Not Saturday, though. Right. Saturday, I'm sure, is sold out. Good no, Saturday's the expensive day, though. But go ahead. Um, so yeah, so getting into the conventions that are actually happening this weekend, um, you know, we'll get a little bit more into Philly, con- uh, Philly, the great Philly con, uh, but there's conventions in Bar Harbor, Maine, uh, Wasatch, uh, con in West Valley, Utah, uh, South Texas Comic Con, which gonna have a couple name folks there, but there's a bunch of big conventions going on this weekend. Uh, there's the Calgary Expo. In mm-hmm. Calgary, Dramatic Pause, Alberta, Canada. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more media guest heavy. And Todd, if you weren't going to Philly this weekend, and I was actually able to leave the house this weekend for non-family and Avengers Infinity War related things, uh, this would be the convention to go to. Um, Jeff Goldblum is going to be here. Chris Jericho, Jason Momoa, Anthony Daniels, Wallace Shaw, Chris Sarandon, uh, Stephen Oog, a man that you're a big fan of. Oh, yes, I am. Right, and many, many others, but the crown jewel of this convention, the one that's going to trump the other two conventions we're going to talk about here shortly, is the great Tom Cavanaugh is going to be at the Calgary Expo. Which Wells is he going to be? I hope he's every Wells. Uh, I hope he's a different Wells on every day. Oh, that would be great. I hope they let him loan out some of the uh, the, the, the special effects makeups, especially future Wells, which is like, I'm going to hold these pipes near my torso, and I'm from the future. Well, maybe he'll come with the, the thinker cap on. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get into that in Flash discussion a little bit later on. Right. Uh, also this weekend at the Meadowlands is the East Coast Comic Con. A little bit more on the comic book side, not to say that there's not media guests there. Uh, Mickey Dolenz is going to be there, Butch Patrick, uh, Lee Merriweather, and she Larry Storch the, is going to be there. One of the three cat women's. <laughs> Remind me to tell you a story about Larry Storch off air. Okay, I have a, something I want to tell you too that I wrote down. All right. Uh, but Mark Bagley is going to be there, Simon Bisley, uh, Jose Garcia Lopez is going to be there, Scott Collins, Barry Kitson, Kyle Starks of Rock Candy Mountain fame, and a friend of ours, uh, Todd, the happiest man in comics, Keith Giffen, is going to be there as well. Oh, ask him about Vexed. But the big one, Todd, is the great Philly Con, the one that you are allegedly attending this weekend. Right, as of right now, I'm still attending. Right, uh... Jim Steranko is going to be there. James O'Barr is going to be there. Uh, but media guests out the wazoo, Todd. Mm-hmm. Val Kilmer is going to be there. Kevin Sorbo is going to be there. Hercules, Hercules. Mm. Harley's brother Peter is going to be there. Okay. Harley Davidson's brother Peter is going to be there. 
P. Oh, okay. I got what you're going. <laughs> Come on. I was I was doodling on my oh. notes. Um, yes, the fifth doctor is going to be there. Now, people also from the world of professional wrestling and entertainment are going to be there. Road Warrior Animal is going to be there. Uh, Christian of Edge and is going to be there. The Nasty Boys are going to be there. And current rap sensation Ric Flair is going to be there. Oh, Charlotte's grandfather is going to be there? Yes. Now, of all of these people that are going to be at the Great Philadelphia Con, Todd, Mm -hmm. if you are going, I don't know what your plan is. I don't know if you looked at the guest list, but I'm about to change whatever your plans are, Todd. Okay. At the Great Philadelphia Convention, Brett Spiner is going to be there. Bob uh, Wheeler? Bob Wheeler from Night Court, Todd. Yes. You said, if you, you said on this other very <laughs> show, After Dark, last week. Right. Our, our sister show. You said on that very show that if you were ever at a convention and Brett Spiner was there, that it would blow his mind if you asked him to sign an, a picture of him as Bob Wheeler from Night Court. I need a picture of Bob Wheeler from Night Court. I'm sure you can find one on the DuckDuckGo image search. See, but I want it nice. I want it on the glossy paper. I don't have glossy paper. You, you, co- you copy the JPEG. You put it on some sort of media device. You take it to your local Kinko's, if they still exist. Mm-hmm. And you say, print this picture of Bob Wheeler out on the fanciest paper you got. No, that's too fancy. One less fancy than that. <laughs> I want the Bob Wheeler level of fancy. <laughs> I'm just saying, Todd, you said it on this other very show that you would do this. You know what? And now you and Brent Spiner are going to be not in the same city, Todd, not in the same state, not in the same zip code. You're going to be in the same building, Todd. You're going to be on the same roof. I may have to do this. I'm ribbing you, Todd. You do whatever you want. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you giving me a gentle ribbing, Mr. Hypocrite? That's correct. Joe the Hypocrite Sposto. That's right. That is my middle name. <laughs> so uh, all the links to all these shows, of course, are going to be in the show notes, as is the link to the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. All the shows are going to be there. I'm not going to list all the shows because any time that they go live and or they appear on another show and they remind me or they record a show and actually publish it, it'll go out. And it'll be on soon to be named network.com. I was actually notified while we were recording something else earlier this evening. Remember that way back there? Yeah. I was notified that um, fans of Puzzle Warriors 3 on the soon to be named network Marvel Puzzle Quest podcast are starting an alliance in the game and naming it soon to be named network in honor of all the shows on the soon to be named network. That's fantastic. As an homage to all of us. Oh, I feel especially homage. I was going to say, an homage to all of us, but specifically to you. Yes, yes. (laughs) I also figured out when I'm going to get signed by Brent Spiner. Okay. After my Bob Wheeler pick. It's not going to be a picture of Roger Moore, is it? No, it isn't. (laughs) It's going to be my season two DVD set of Outcast. Oh, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my heart. Callbacks, Joe. Callbacks. See, if you listen to last week's episode, we learned that season two of Outcast existed in another country. 
Mm-hmm. People allegedly warned of, warned us of this. Mm-hmm. But apparently we're fools and missed the warning because it's actually airing in the States in like four months or something. Mm. July. July. Three months. Uh, so, again, all that in the show notes, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Also in the show notes is going to be all of the digital sales that are going on this week. And Todd, as I'm sure you're aware, this weekend is the Avengers Infinity movie. Right. The one that it's all been building toward the last ten years, all of these movies, all the characters that they've established over all of these movies over the last ten years are all banding together to take on Cable with, like, purple on his face or something. I'm really confused on what the movie's about. Mm, purple Jonah Hex? Purple Jonah Hex, because I've been avoiding spoilers and everything like this. Not because Thanos told me to be silent, because this is just the way that I do things. <laughs> oh, but you are you you are listening to him in your own way and don't even know it. That's correct. I am a disciple of Thanos, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> um, so I will be seeing the movie sometime this weekend. I'm sure Todd is going to see it Thursday afternoon, which is where they keep moving those midnight showings up to. <laughs> Yes, I'm going to the Thursday breakfast show of uh-huh. Avengers. <laughs> it's omelets and Avengers. Uh, I was going to say eggs, Thanos. Uh. So Marvel is having a bunch of sales on Avengers stuff and Infinity Event stuff. So uh, go snooping around through some of those. Uh, was there any big Avengers stuff that I saw that really jumped out at me? Uh, Dark Horse is having a sale on their Aliens properties. Uh, some of the sales from the last couple of weeks are still going on. Uh, Oni Press still with the sale on Sixth Gun stuff by Colin Bunn. IDW with stuff on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think another site had pointed out that you can get the entire run of the current IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff for under $70, which is a crazy amount of comics for that cheap of a price. Mm-hmm. Um, Valiant is having a sale on a bunch of stuff, uh, just perusing the Avengers sale. It's a lot of newer stuff, like Avengers vs. X-Men, um, you know, the big eventy stuff. Uh, all of Secret Wars is in there, but then they have, like, classic, classic Avengers vs. Thanos single issues, and it's like, here's a bunch of issues of Captain Marvel, here's a bunch of Marvel fanfare, er, Marvel featuring the thing, um, or like Marvel Team Up, or Issues of Warlock, or Marvel 2-in-1 where Thanos shows up. So, again, it's a bit of a hodgepodge of a sale, so, you know, just uh, check that out. I think it, all the Infinity Blank crossovers are in there. Gauntlet, War, and Crusade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if that's something that interests you, by all means. But of course, while Marvel is doing their stuff, DC is doing a complete 360 on what they're selling... And they're doing a Vertigo sale. And I tell you, it's a sale that they do quite often, and I always say whenever they do this, that there's certain stuff in here that should just be perennially on sale. Um, it's no single-issue stuff. It's all trades of stuff. But it's all the trades of Why the Last Man. All the trades of John Constantine Hailblazer. All the trades of Swamp Thing. All the trades of Preacher. All the trades of Fables. All the trades of Sandman. You know what I mean? It's it's all the stuff, all the, all the things in trade. And like I said, this is stuff that should just be perennially on sale. Like, why isn't every trade of Sandman just $6 all the time? 
because they want to make that extra money for the people who don't know that it's on I sale guess. every once in a while. Uh, but definitely check that out. Just right there off the tip of my tongue, if you were to go with any of those runs of books, uh, you'd be doing yourself a service in picking up some of the best comics that have been published in the last 30-some-odd years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ex Machina stuff is in there just because as I'm perusing around in there. Uh, iZombie, Lucifer... American Vampire, Sandman Mystery Theater, oh, Sandman Mystery Theater, Scalped is in there, Sweet Tooth is in there, Uh, Transmetropolitan is in there, so all of this stuff, all great stuff, and Todd's aforementioned We Three by Grant Morrison, and Frank Quitely is in there as well. Good. Big, big, giant sale, and that's what I like. No new freebies uh, in the last week. Uh, we still got those same couple uh, now that Marvel is re- doing them again. Uh, of course, you know, we'll remind you when those kind of roll over. They usually roll over about every three to four weeks. So, that's done. Let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, I'm going to ask you to go first, whatever you want to talk about. I'm going to start with uh, Action Comics 1000. Mm-hmm. Which has a murderer's row of writers and artists, writers like Dan Jurgen, Scott Snyder, Tom King, Peter Tomasi, John, well, John Romita Jr. was a penciler, I'm sorry, Marv Wolfman, Paul Dini, uh, Jeff Johns with Richard Donner, um, even some, uh, guy named Brad Meltzer, uh, and the first story by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, there's, you know, some of the stories are, are better than others. I enjoyed the Tom King, uh, Clayman, uh, story about Superman at the end of Earth's life and he's honoring his parents. That was really good. Um, uh, Jeff Johns and Donner's stories about the car from the cover of Action Comics 1. Um, there was one that's just uh, an interesting story of pinups that seem to go through all the various histories of Superman from like Elseworlds and the various decades of stuff, uh, like a multiverse story or a hyper time story. Um, but my favorite story in, in all of it was the Dan Jurgen story. First of all, cause it's got Dan Jurgen's art who will always be the definitive Superman artist for me, but it's a great story about Superman appreciation day, which I think they stole from the flash TV show, which the flash TV show, stole from old Superman comics, so it all works out. Um, But it's Superman, you know, fighting off an alien invasion, but he still has to do this appreciation day and he doesn't want to do it. And uh, Perry White keeps calling Lois, looking for some, looking for Clark, and she's saying he's busy, he's busy, he's busy. But then we find out that it's not Perry White, it's actually the superheroes looking for Superman to help and he doesn't, and in the end he finds out that even though he took this time off to be appreciated, the superheroes uh, had his back because they appreciate Superman 2. And uh, uh, Superman also, not Superman 2, the movie. Um, but I really liked it because it it shows like how great Superman is, and he's the first, the best, always. And... Uh, I just really like it. I thought it was, you know, not too schmaltzy, but heartwarming. The only problem I had with the story is when there's a great shot of all the wonderful superheroes who helped him, a la Steel, Supergirl, Batman, Cyborg, Flash, Green Lantern, multiple Green Lanterns, Firestorm, Aquaman, 
there's a shot of the murder for hire guy, Deathstroke in the back, just standing around like, hey, everybody. Yeah, I helped out, too. Yeah, I've assassinated people for money. What are you going to do about it? But I, I love the story. Um, that was one of my favorites. And we get to see the beginning of the uh, Brian, Mike, Brian Michael Bendis' first story uh, with Superman. And that one I really enjoyed. And I liked the tone. I liked the feel, uh, the adventure of it. A few, a few jokes, not too much, like not too crazy with it. But uh, it actually makes me want to get into uh, Brian Michael Bendis' run of Superman. The first taste that I got makes me want more. That's a great point. Um, so obviously, as you mentioned, all the stories were kind of, um, I don't want to say uh, uneven or all over the place, but they were definitely, here's this writer, here's his take on Superman, or here's his take on a part of Superman's history or life or whatever it is. And I'm glad that Dan Jurgens, as you mentioned, got kind of the biggest story out of everything. Mm -hmm. Because to many people, you and I included, he is the definitive Superman creator. Right. Who is still with us and who still continually and regularly puts comic books out. Right. Okay. Um, definitely worth a purchase, especially if you're interested to see a nice encapsulation of the history of Superman, seeing a bunch of different creators, artists, and otherwise doing Superman stuff. Um, kind of a little bit of addressing how Superman could exist today, but also exist and have memories of things happening in the 30s without really beating you over the head with hypertime stuff. But of course, as we mentioned earlier in the show with the news segment, Todd just mentioned now the main selling point of this book had been this is the first Brian Michael Bendis stuff. And I don't want to spoil it, of course, because it definitely a villain shows up, a new villain shows up that says something that I'm sure is going to be the crux of what Bendis' storyline in the Man of Steel stuff is going to be. Right. And it's one of those things that I think if you were a longtime Superman fan, you're a Bendis fan, you read that, you see what that character says at the end of the issue, you're like, okay, I need to see what happens next. Now, and I want to, I need to see what happens next. And that is exactly what DC got when they hired Brian Michael Bendis. Someone who could write a story, eight pages, 22 pages, five issues, 500 issues, that grab your moment and pull mm -hmm. you in and want you to keep buying that book. Right. And I think, like you were saying, it's a great, it's not so much continuity stories of Superman up to the Jim Lee. It's a great celebration of 80 years of Superman. Right. Which it does a great job. And we get the Jim Lee story, uh, and, and Brett Bendis story, like you said. And an interesting side note, I was, uh, at the shop listening to, you know, uh, people, the, the workers and the retail, our retailer talking, and they were mentioning that this is with, that Wednesday on it came out was getting close to the biggest book they've ever had at the shop just on the Wednesday. Um, that most sold obviously for a seven ninety nine price point. You know, I don't know about the money and I never ask about the money, but it's, it was coming close and it probably will outsell, um, the biggest book they had. Do you want to take a guess what the biggest book they had in the course of their almost 20, at least 27 year history? X-Men 1, the Jim Lee Claremont one from the 90s? No. No. It was another Superman book. <laughs> was it the aforementioned Superman 75? No, it was another polybagged version shortly after that. Uh, act uh, uh, Adventures of Superman 500 where he comes back to life. Yes, that was the biggest book apparently, according to our, re our shop, that they ever had. 
Wow, I can't, I can't believe that that, you know, at least locally did better than the death. I think that I think with it now there, I guess he's talking not reprints and stuff like that. Um, so maybe that changed things around, but you definitely ask him when we go to the shop later today, because that's what I gathered from, you know, putting pieces together, mm-hmm. sitting on my big green throne. On your big green throne. <laughs> Uh, so one of the other books that we read uh, this past week was Batman number 45, uh, written by Tom King, uh, with art by Tony Daniel, who has done Batman stuff before. This is a Batman time travel stuff, continuing along with the story of his pending nuptials to Catwoman, but we throw in the monkey wrench of Booster Gold. Right. Um, this sees some, I guess, parallels to the Black Mercy storyline of the Superman for the man who has everything sort of thing. Right. He gives a reason. He's like, oh, Superman saw what his life could be and he felt, you know, that he liked it. He liked his, his real life more. Um, and I'm trying to show you something like that. And it's a wedding gift from Booster. Right. And that wedding gift, of course, because Booster Gold is... I don't want to say a bumbling hero, but he's definitely not the greatest superhero the world has never known. Um, but of course, his plan backfires. He tries to write the course, and things don't go quite as planned. <laughs> uh, I like this. It's more Tom King Batman stuff. Um, you know, Booster Gold was in it, and it felt more Booster Goldy than Batman, especially toward, you know, up until the end, where we really get a little bit more of Bruce. But it was just more of Booster Gold kind of interacting with this world that he created of how things are now messed up in the DC Universe. I like this story. I like the way that Tom King envisioned alternate versions of all the Robins and what they're doing in everyday life now. Mm-hmm. And the only, the only problem I had with the book, and I want to see the story play out because Tom King has earned my trust the way Mark Wade, Ed Brubaker has. If there's something I don't like, I'm like, wait till the story's over. And then if it's not fixed or he doesn't explain it, then I can hate it. I'm not a fan of Booster's story, like what he, the present that he gives him. As bumbling as Booster is, this seems downright cruel to do. And I think because of that, like, this doesn't seem, like, Booster has bad ideas, but to be downright cruel to Bruce in the end, I don't think that's his main plan. Like, something has happened, and we're going to get more of the story in the next issue, if that makes any sense. He's still a bumbling hero, but I think there's more to it than what we're getting. Right. I, maybe um, Booster Gold is being manipulated. Mm-hmm. And he's not smart enough to realize that he's being manipulated to, you know, some greater threat needed to do X, Y, Z, but they couldn't get close enough to Bruce and Selena. Mm-hmm. But he could manipulate someone who may not be the uh, sharpest knife in the sh- in the drawer to kind of unwittingly bring his plan to fruition. Fair enough. Like I said, I'm willing to wait it out. Right. Good issue. Um, we'll, as Todd mentioned, see how it ends. I'd hate to lean toward that they threw this story in so that they can make sure that the wedding issue happens on issue 50. 
But that's not something comics would do, is it, Todd? No, that would be like if they were a, became a business or something. <laughs> uh, so, real quick, uh, I want to mention uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 799. Uh, this written by uh, Dan Slott, uh, getting toward the end of his run. I think he's got two more issues left after this, uh, with art by Stuart Imminent. I think by now we all know Norman Osborn is in possession of the Carnage, or the, yeah, the Carnage symbiote, and he is the Red Goblin, and they're, they're still playing it up like, uh, it's soon to be revealed of who it is. And in the previous issue, uh, he pretty much puts a drubbin on Peter and says, if you just stop being Spider-Man, I'm gonna go do all my stuff, but I will leave all the people that you love alone. Peter kind of sends up the red and blue flag to say I agree, but of course, he starts kind of running things Oracle-style behind the scenes with all the other Spider-People that exist in the Marvel Universe currently, Todd. And Todd, hmm. you'd be surprised, there's a lot of Spider-People in the Marvel Universe. Wow, okay. So many that there is a key player in this issue who is a major factor in the outcome of what happens in the issue that I have no idea who he is. And I read Spider-Man comics, Todd. Hmm, I'm interested in who it is. Okay. So they say his shoot name, which they do quite a bit. Um, and then they mention his name, his actual working name as a Spider-Person in passing. Uh, he is Cole, or he is Clayton Cole, a.k.a. Clash, who is a Spider-Man-esque person who has, like, sonic powers. Oh, the old sonic spider routine, gotcha. Right. Now, he he appeared, like, tangentially in some of the stuff, but he's mostly been doing stuff in the Spider-Universe book. But they literally say his name one time. I have no idea who this character is. He shows up, plays a crucial role in the book, and I just think if you're going to hang your hat on a major spider character having a pivotal role in this huge storyline, there's no less than six other people that could have filled this role that at least we all have an idea of who this person is. I get you. You know, I, I don't read the book, so but I have no idea who Clash is. It should right. have been Silk. At least I know who Silk is. Right. I, I don't know who Silk is, but at least I know who Silk is. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, Miles Morales is in this book. You want to go down Scarlet Spider, Ben Riley. You want to do uh, whatever Kane uh, is doing out in Las Vegas. If you want to do Anti-Venom with Eddie Brock. There's so many other spider people that could have had the that bigger role that Clash has in this. Mm-hmm. But I-, I can't think of Clash having more than like 10 appearances in all of Marvel continuity. You know why, Joe? Why? Clash is going to be pivotal, and then they get to kill him. <sighs> I guess. I don't know. I just I'm felt com- as yeah. I just felt as though you could have done maybe I don't know maybe introduce him like an issue beforehand, not just have this guy show up, or you know he's you know whatever he is is like oh Peter and Clayton are talking about a thing that happened in Spider Universe number something, and I'm like oh okay at least I could trace it to this. Right, well, here's the way I look at it. It's like me reading an issue of Suicide Squad, and it's like, hey, the team is Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, 
Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, the Enchantress, and you know what? Just because we need him, we're bringing Slipknot in. Oh, <laughs> Slipknot's dying. <laughs> Slipknot is taking a bullet to the cranium. Oh. But he's pivotal. He's pivotal. Mm-hmm. Slipknot's pivotal to this adventure. Ooh, so that's my take on it. All right. We'll see. We shall see. Or it could just be nothing. It's just like, oh, do you have a spider person with sonic powers? Um, maybe? I don't know. Uh, we have to renew the trademark, put Clash in there. <laughs> uh, I am enjoying the stuff. It's just I wish they uh, did a better job of explaining what, what and who Clash was. Mm. Or will be. Or I don't know. Maybe he's dead, maybe he's not. I still like Dan Slott's Spider-Man. These last couple We're- issues have been really good. I know a lot of people have soured on Dan Slott's Spider-Man <laughs> stuff. Shh, don't say his name, he'll appear. Oh, boy. So, that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them mailed to your home, uh, whether you wait for the trades, whether you wait for the omnibuy, whether you wait for the absolutes, or you just buy everything that comes out. At mm-hmm. least just go to our go to the poll post, go to the link that takes you to uh, all the books that are coming out this week, print that out, bring it to your real re- retailer, and say one please, <laughs> and you're good. Now, two of the things that Todd and I are attempting to do in the calendar year 2018 is the one thing that we always do, which is attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. The other is keeping a running tally of the dollars spent. And I think this is a day in the calendar that Todd has been dreading since we started doing this. Dreading or waiting for? Loving. Uh, Because, first of all, I haven't purchased a DC Absolute in a very long time. And uh, boy, howdy, did I not know that they were that pricey. Okay, now it depends on them. That is a, like, 20-some issue one. They're usually 150. And it goes by, like, Preacher, Sandman, the big ones. You get some of the, like, the lesser ones, and they're not as expensive. Gotcha. Uh, So, yeah, with Todd's Absolute Preacher Volume 3, he is well over $200 of what dollars spent I have in the calendar year 2018. And I'm sure there's going to be at least one more absolute that you're getting coming out this year, Todd. Um, at, at least four more. Oh my goodness, Todd. But listen, Joe, they're all like, these are the absolutes. Tell me like, if I should not buy some of these books, uh, preacher I got, then I got, uh, a Sandman overture coming to finish up my Sandman absolutes. I have Transmetropolitan 3 coming. I have a, and this one's more cheaper. This is going to be like $40. I have a Killing Joke Absolute and a Kingdom Come Absolute. Like, are those not the, like, cream of the crop, though? Now, Todd, they are the cream of the crop. However, I do just want to point this out to you. Yes. More times than not, lately, it seems, DC, Omnibuy, Trades, Hardcovers, and so forth, have a myriad of printing errors. Only the Omnibuy have the problem. Okay. I've noticed that. The guy in charge of the Omnibuy is asleep at the switch. <laughs> oh, Todd. What are we going to do with you? I don't know. Try to stop me from spending all this money? 
So obviously the the way that we do these sort of things is we do not include reprinted material. Obviously one would assume that the Omnibuy is the thing that you were most looking forward to coming out this week. But again, it's old material being reprinted, so that's not it. Right. I'm going to guess that Thanos Annual Number 1 is the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week. It is not the book that I'm looking oh, forward to. Oh, my goodness. It is actually uh, Mighty Thor. Yes, that was going to be my number, two, my number two pick. Because I want to see if my theory of her being part of the hammer is true or not. Yes, yes, there you go. So... So now I guess yours, Joe. Is that official now? It's in the book. That books, is the so. way that this works, yes. Um, I'm going to guess the book you are looking forward to most is Saga 51. No. Is it Killer Be Killed 18? Yes. See, you're a jerk. What? I can show kidding. you the message that I sent to my friend James. No, I know. Who every week, att- once the pull post goes out, within seconds... And he had a very busy uh, couple days here. Uh, <clears throat> he sent me the message saying, he goes, it's Killer Be Killed or Saga. I'm going with Killer Be Killed. And I responded, uh, when is Saga not the book of the week? When Killer Be Killed is the book of the Ooh, week. We have a new king. The king is dead. Long live the king. Right. So no movement on the on the charts here. I'm still ahead by one correct guess. Mm-hmm. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the stuff that Todd and I have ever done on the internet. It all exists over there, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark. This week's Longbox Heroes After Dark is Roman numeral four of the soon-to-be-aimed movie project, Last Action Hero, the Arnold Schwarzenegger epic, and it's going to be an epic podcast. I'm not... I don't think I'm overselling it in the slightest. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, also, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to click on our little store button where you can purchase stickers, shirts, or pins with our fancy logo on it. And when I say fancy logo, those pins Todd can attest to really pop. This is coming from someone who is not a pin guy. Uh, the pins have been moving very well. I do want to thank everyone who's purchased the combos, the pins, or what have you. Up until the end of the month, probably one week from this re- recording... Um, we're still doing the deal that if you order the shirt and the pin together, you save like three bucks plus you save on shipping. Yes, sorry. A deal at more than that price. Right. Now, if you don't want a shirt, you don't want a sticker, you don't want a pin, you can always click on our Amazon link across the top of the page. We get a couple extra cents in the back end, taking the money out of Mr. Amazon's pocket, putting it in my pocket, then I have to put it into my PayPal account and then send that to Todd. It seems a lot of work PayPaling money around. A lot, lot of moving of funds on PayPal this week. Hmm. Oh, boy. I hope nobody's watching what I'm doing. <laughs> You're on a list. Uh, Again. Well, I'm on yet another list. Right. Uh, but some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week, uh, I would assume that the same person uh, purchased a Fenzer Hot Pink Hybrid rubber matte finish hard case cover for a Samsung Galaxy Note. Uh, They also purchased the leather horizontal pouch case cover with belt clip holster for said Samsung Galaxy Note 2. Mm. Uh, Somebody also purchased the Blu-ray of Superman vs. the Elite uh, based on that Joe Kelly, Doug Monkey action comic story. 
775, right? Right. Action Comics 775. Yes, yes. Uh, the same person who's been purchasing dog things over the last several weeks uh, purchased the first episode of Caesar Milan's Dog Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying that in training your dog. I don't know how much your dog is watching the show, but hopefully you're relaying the information to the dog guide <laughs> asking the show who the Caesar Milan of cats are, Todd. Right. And somebody, and several people told me this, because again, when you ask an open-ended <laughs> question on a podcast, you're inundated with answers. You left the door open again, Joe. Right. Now I have to tell you this. He's typing. So, people told me what the guy's name... Okay, so the uh, Caesar Milan of Cats is a gentleman by the name of Jackson Galaxy. Hmm. When you get an opportunity to, Todd, uh, do an image search on your DuckDuckGo of Jackson Galaxy, and okay. then we'll discuss later. All right. All right. I don't want to take my uh, my the Twitter I have open on my phone. I'll look later. Absolutely not. And then somebody also purchased the Weird Al Yankovic Funko Pop. Was it you? No, it was not me. You can't purchase from your own Amazon click through. They they run a scam like that that you can't do that. I figured you'd, you're, you'd have you'd use somebody else's account. You'd PayPal them the money, then they'd buy you the Funko. A lot of PayPal, you know. Seems like a lot of needless work, but what what could I say, Todd? I'm regardless of what you hear or read or I might tell you myself, I'm actually not a terrible person. That's true. You play it well. All right. So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Oh my God, did we have art attacks, Joe? We had uh, I've had multiple art attacks. It hurts so much. Um, from Mega Contributor Euronymous, he sent me uh, issue fifty-seven, page fourteen. Of Chu, I'm not sure who the artist on Chu is because I never really read it. It's not in the uh, the, the tweet. Uh, Rob Gilroy. Yes, so uh, very nice. And hashtag Squirrel. I don't know if that's a character or something. I never read Chu, so. Well, they're interacting you... with a squirrel in the tree there. Right, but I don't know if that's a thing, you know, like in the book. I mm-hmm. don't know. I just know there's a squirrel. So, uh, and also from T-Bolt 712 is a an Addy Granov Iron Man slash uh, Tony Stark a la the, the, the Spider-Sense Spidey. It's half Tony, half uh, Iron Man in the armor. Very nice. Um, he has it because of the Iron Man movies and stuff like that. He's a big fan. Um, someone sent me a, a cable commission by Adam Gorham. So it was by David Markowski. I don't know if that's actually his or not, um, but it's very nice. I would like it. And we also got a uh, Gabriel Hardman Batman, uh, which is a great, he's a great artist. I have a Gabriel Hardman recreation of the cover of Justice League One, so I'm a fan of his artwork. Yeah, I like that. I, um, not to say that I don't like all the stuff. Uh, I think for me, if I was to pick one, it would be that uh, Adam Gorham Cable. It looks mm-hmm. very like a light Simon Bisley sort of uh, style on it. Yes. I'm the Gabriel Hardman man, myself. Okay. So, Todd, you had also mentioned on Twitter that you had an, uh, a concern come up regarding a page that you wanted to purchase 
that slipped through your uh, cookie-encrusted fingers. Yes, it did. I tried to get a Jeff Shaw Thanos page from Thanos 18. I tweeted it out what one I wanted. It was the one where they had the half of the future Thanos face and the half of the you know pa- uh, current our, our era Thanos, and they were going to fight to the death. And, they're, and they realize it, and he mentions it, and that's when... Uh, Mute, uh, death from Vertigo in the Marvel Universe does the, uh, uh, charades on the nose thing. The page was gorgeous. And they announced on Twitter that the pages were going up, at, uh, on Tuesday, uh, as we record this at noon, uh, Eastern Standard Time. And I was like, okay, I'm all over it. Literally, I was sitting in my office at 1159, hitting, uh, F5 on my phone. I think that's a thing that you can do on your phone um, repeatedly. And then 12 o'clock came around, went to the page, went to it, put it in the shopping cart, sent it off. And I, I thought because I got it in the shopping cart, it was mine. But you have to send a request off. And ah. other people did. And somebody got it first. But I was waiting for 15 minutes for me to get the email back. Yeah. And I got the email back. And they were like, oh, you missed out. And I was like, oh, okay, I got sad. So then I went to the comic shop uh, later that day to you know get the books ready for – uh, the pull post and I get an email and it's from the same guy and it says Thanos artwork in the headline. So I'm like, did that person like not pay? Did he blah, blah, blah. But what I hated was it was them again going, Hey, we know you lost out on your Thanos page with death on it. We have other ones like this one. Nah. And I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll tell you what I want. Don't ask me what I want. That's how this business works. So, but I missed out and I'm sad, but I'm going to put tires on the truck instead. So it works out. I think you made the right, even though I'm sad you didn't get the page, I think you made the right call uh, at the end of the day here. I mean, I could do both, but you know, I don't know. It it happens. It was something I really wanted and I, and I got art, I got uh, art depressed for like 10 minutes and then I moved on. It's like, darn, I wanted that. <laughs> so. All right. So um, I think that's all we got as part of the main show. Now, we're going to get into TV talk here. Mm-hmm. Now, I was informed by a couple people that we need, we've need. we been forgetting to do the, okay, we're going to go now. Mm-hmm. Instead of diving right into TV talk, because I guess we've been catching people off guard. So if you don't care about what happened on Krypton or The Flash, or you don't want to be spoiled, we bid you adieu. <laughs> Episode 395, see you all next week. Now let's get into discussion about Krypton. You were warned, everybody. You were warned. We're here now. Uh, So we completely don't even touch at all in this episode the end of the previous episode of the voice of Rao being possessed by Brainiac. Right. This is more of the forefront story of more of the House of Zod stuff. Hmm. Uh, we get more information about people's double dealings, secret relationships, and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But the main crux of all of this uh, would be uh, with, and again, the not uh, Jaina's mother. Or no, Jaina's the mother, Lyta's mother. Jaina's odd. It's more or less her story in this this episode. Right, they show her in flashbacks training for the Sagittarii or something, what they're called. Mm-hmm. So, 
fighting her brother mostly. Right. And we're getting these flashbacks, of course, while she is attempting to make the decision whether or not to get into bed with uh, the Vexes in regards to kind of allegiancing herself and the military with them so she could assist them in the overthrow of Rao. And to save her her daughter from being labeled a traitor and being killed. There's that storyline going on. The other storyline going on is Seg is attempting to escape from uh, the Black Zero folk. Um, and a lot of what's going on there is kind of paralleling the story that uh, Jaina had gone through before with her brother. Uh, being trapped in the snow, going to that peak and everything else like that. These two stories converge as... Uh, Jaina decides to sacrifice, I guess, her own beliefs, what she was raised on to save her daughter, and of course that just continues to build the tension there. Uh, Lyda and Adam Strange go to save, uh, Seg, and we get our first man butt naked in the show. Uh, they yes. turned, they turned up the swearing to 11 this episode, and mm-hmm. they threw in a naked man's butt in this episode as well. So, again, if you didn't realize that this was deep basic cable at 10 o'clock, <laughs> we're really hitting you over the head with it here. And again, we're talking spoilers, of course. And as they're attempting to save Seg, Lyda has a battle with the guy who's in charge of the, uh, Black Zero. And it is revealed, as this is a much older gentleman, he tells her that he, this guy, is her son. Episode ends. Right. I thought this was a great episode. My only complaint about this is I still don't like the other house symbols for the other houses other than the House of L. Um, you know what? I... I don't mind the symbols when they're on, like, a banner or something... But they look terrible on the, like, chest crests. You know what I mean? Yes. And they, they're not, they don't pop the way the S does. Like, you could see the S. And I don't know if it's because we look at the S and we know the S. And, and even besides the Superman symbol, it's a letter that we all, like, know in our everyday lives. And looking at the other stuff is we, it's not quickly recognizable. It's like, oh, what you're doing is just a shape. Like, to them, the S isn't a letter, it's a shape. So here, do you know what I'm trying to say? I do, but it's just like a coincidence that these random symbols, these random shapes just happen to be an S for the one that's going to be the super baby face of Earth mm-hmm. versus the ones that are just a bunch of random squiggles, not anything to do with anything that's ever going to happen on Earth anytime soon, and they all just happen to look like gibberish as well. Right, and I can't make out what they are. Like, right, like, if they're supposed to be something, I don't know what that is. Right, if they represent flame or something, I don't know. And then because they're so uh, they're so abstract at times, when people show them they're ranked, I'm like, are they part of the House of M? Because they don't, they're not. The word, the best phrase I'm looking for is they're not easily recognizable. Mm-hmm. And you need that to go like, all right, that's a Vex, that's an M, that's a L, you know what I mean? And Superman's the only one that really does that. Um, the other thing that I really liked about this was that uh, 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 Lyda's mother gets in gets in bed with the Vexes because you know he does she doesn't want to sacrifice her daughter, and 
I like the fact that the father Vex like was was going to serve up uh, the Zod's daughter on a platter, and he's like, no, we have to do somebody else. So they're going to use the, uh, the 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 cop that testified against her, and you're like, oh, okay, that that's cool. They're just going to murder her, but then you find out that she's actually Vex's lover, and I was like, okay, that's a cool turn. And then like the daughter comes in, the Vex daughter, and she's like, oh, like I. I, you know, you fooled me. You actually do love her and all this stuff. And in the end, like, he leaves sad and she kind of grins. And the more this goes on, like, I really think she's the, 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 the villain of the story. And I like that, that it, that it's moving around. And then Lyda has the, the, the conversation with her mother where it's like, oh, like, you really do love me. And she's like, yes, there's nothing I loved you more. There's nothing I've loved more than you. And now there's nothing more I detest more than you because you made me break my oath. And I'm like, this is a really great written episode. I really like this. Though I did kind of think the guy who's in charge of the, not the, the terrorist or whatever, that turns out to be the son of, uh, of, uh, the, the daughter Zod. I knew, I had a feeling he was, he was involved with the Zod somehow. I just didn't know how. Right. But it's cool, kind of, you know, what, the, what he's going to be. And I guess he's this, the father of the Zod Superman fights. Cause, that's how that works out, right? Yes. Okay. Thought it was a good no. episode. No, that would be the Zod that he actually fights, because the Zod knew Kal- Kal-El's father, Jor-El. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I do. So, yes, yeah, so he, that's the actual Zod. That's the actual Neil before Zod. Right, but now how is he in this time? Right, which I'm guessing is the same way Adam Strange is in this time. Right. Hmm. Again, I I like the added mystery to this. Yes. So I'm all over the place trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> right. So, last but not least is Flash. Um, I don't know how many episodes we got left, but uh, I'm not really sure how much there could be after all of this. Um, a lot more. There could be so much padding after this. <laughs> Only- so they find the last uh, bus meta, as it were, and unfortunately they throw out your theory that Ralph wasn't on the bus, which is why the thinker wasn't going after uh, him, but the other bus meta has the power to open up like pocket dimensions mm-hmm. by himself, and he's like a hippy-dippy sort of guy. They try to work in some drug stuff without working in drug stuff. <laughs> with the guy, they're kind of ham-fisted about it. Um, while all this is going on, Ralph is essentially saying, we should just go and kill uh, the thinker. We should just go kill him. And mm-hmm. Barry's like, no, we're better than that. You know, we can't just do that. Right. There's, and then the... Oh, oh sorry. Uh, I was saying, and then the B-plot is Wells becoming addicted to the thinker cap. Right. And how that messes him up. So... The big thing that happens in the episode is they get the, uh, what was Edwin Gauss or whatever his name was. Right. They get him on board. They have him open up the pocket dimension. They go to the thinker's uh, lair, and as they do so, the thinker, using his chair, which also opens up pocket dimensions, he shows up at Star Labs, and the only ones that are left there are, like, Cisco, not not Cisco, are uh, Iris, um, uh, Joe... And we later find out that Ralph is there, but of course, Ralph attempts to do the gimmick with the uh, 
the Cuffs. tuning fork thing that Wells made, but it ends up not working. He ends up hesitating. He ends up not killing the Thinker, but of course that's how the Thinker gets the drop on them. Thinker takes control of Ralph's body, uses Ralph's malleability to turn himself back into the original actor. And Team Flash is left in shambles. Caitlin's possibly lost her powers. Everyone's faith in everything is shaken. And maybe because of overuse of the thinker cap, Harry may be a dum-dum. Or even worse, not, I think, not dum-dum. He's going to be average. That's what's going to kill him even more than being dumb. Mm -hmm. He's going to be average. But that's my take on that. But the whole plot was to get in to 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 push Wells's ego, so he would use the thinker cap, but the thinker cap wasn't working directly, so he would pump it up with dark matter, and that's what uh, the thinker needed for whatever his p- future plan is is to get the dark matter that he was using, and it's going to fuel what he, he didn't have a way to get it, and that's what he used them for. So that was interesting. But my big problem with this episode is one: I don't think Ralph is dead. Even though everybody, like, even the, the showrunners are like, oh, Ralph's dead. I'm like, I don't think Ralph's dead. Because if Ralph's dead, then literally this, this season, the Flash team has been the biggest failures ever. They have not saved one bus meta. Not one. Twelve people are dead, and they have done a, the biggest victory that the, the Flash team has this season, if that, if this turns out, is that they they took a convicted convict, even though he was innocent, out of jail without doing anything in the courts and sent him to China. That's like the biggest victory they have. Goldberg, they freed Goldberg. I was going to say, and he got inducted into the World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Fame. Yes, so that works. So I think I have, like, Joe, you know how my theory that Ralph wasn't a bus meta? <laughs> I have a new theory. You want to hear my new theory? Yes. That he has, because he says that early in the episode, he says he doesn't have to go to the bathroom. He doesn't have to get up off the couch because he could move parts around. I think he 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 moved his brain, Joe. He's still in there, but so is uh, the thinker. DeVoe. DeVoe is in there. And he has the ability, like, he's going to shake him off or whatever. Like, he put, and this is where Ralph would do it. I'm just not doing this for the joke. He put a brain in his butt that's that's, like, holding his memories. And he's waiting to take over. Because if they really kill Ralph, this has been a waste of a season when it comes to the elongated man. Um, I like that theory. Mm-hmm. It'll definitely be interesting to see how they get their way out of this one. Mm-hmm. That's all. Uh, maybe they'll jump something like the Duke boys. Right. But the thing that I really liked about this episode was that Ralph wants to kill, kill, kill. And you're like, oh, because he's a coward and he doesn't want to die. But there's a great moment when he has the speech with Barry who's telling him, like, we're better than that. He's like, you don't understand, Barry. I'm not killing him for me. I'm killing him because I don't want him to hurt you. He he has killed everything that has been in his way. And Team Flash is in the way and you're all my friends. And he will not take that from me. And... I think Ralph's character development to this moment has been great. And uh, that's why I'm hoping he's not dead. You make a good point that if Ralph is dead, then they failed miserably this season. Mm -hmm. And they should stop being Team Flash or at least get someone else in charge other than Iris. 
What? You don't want a reporter in charge? Oh, boy. See, I think she could be used well as an investigator, like go out in the thing and get information. I just think like there's no logical reason why she should be team leader. There's mm-hmm. none. I get you. But I'm still enjoying The Flash. It's still good. I just want to see what happens. You know, um, how many episodes do we have left? I, left. I know you said that they'll just do some filler episodes, mm-hmm. but I certainly hope not. I think they have like 17 more episodes left. Oh, my goodness. Wait, I said 17 last week, so I think it's 16. Uh, five episodes left. Oh, there's going to be no filler oh, there. No filler there. I, don't know. I did my best not to look at the episode titles so as not to spoil myself. Oh, I know. I think the next one's name, but other than that, I'm good. Careful. All right, Todd, is there anything else that we forgot to cover? Anything else that we need to do before we put a bow on this episode? No, I think we came in at a svelte short show again. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, so, everyone, thank you very much for listening to episode 395 of Long Boss Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain.